Well, again, uh, good morning to everyone, and uh, as we said before, we're in uh, part six of this series in a book of the Bible that uh, I've now preached on more uh, in the last month than I have in my entire ministry preceding that, and it's been a real blessing. Um, Our main theme again is the idea, uh, the truth of God's amazing faithfulness, his unswervingness, his trustworthiness, his, his ability to keep his promises of grace and love, even in the midst of our continued unfaithfulness. And so I pray that that theme comes out again uh, today as we study together. Some of you might know that uh, the Women's World Cup soccer tournament has been going on for probably about a month or more. And uh, in fact, I think today is the championship, right, between the United States and Japan. Um, So about a week ago or so, there was probably one of the, the most, uh, one of the biggest events that has happened in this year's World Cup happened, and it wasn't really necessarily a good thing. Um, here's what happened. Uh, so England and Japan were tied with just, you know, literally like a minute or less left in the game. And one of the English defenders, her name's Laura Bassett, um, as the ball was coming towards her goal, she's a defender, uh, she did her best to kick it away from the goal, to clear it from the goal, and but instead of her kick clearing it from the goal, some of you have seen this or know this, it actually, she kicked the ball into her goal with just a few seconds left, and Japan ended up winning um, two to one. As you can imagine, with such a big game and such a big tournament. This unfortunate event was uh, not easy for her to handle. Um, in fact, she was asked to describe her emotions uh, right after the ball went into the goal. Here's her quote. Um, I couldn't breathe. My heart was like it was out of my chest, and I wanted the ground to just open up and swallow me. <laughs> um, Laura, I guess, on the team has been known to be kind of the unemotional, stoic one, so to speak, or at least one of them. And yet, after the game, she explains how she could just not stop being uncontrollably emotional. At least at the time of the article I read, she still hadn't talked to her parents because she knew that when she did, she would just break down in tears and and she wasn't ready for that yet. This is a game and a moment that will likely play over and over in her head for the rest of her life. Now, when a person experiences such a public and difficult thing like that, a failure, um, I think we can relate, can't we, in the sense that our heart goes out to a person like Laura Bassett? Like, we can kind of get a feel for um, the sadness, the despair that she might be feeling, How horrible that would be to have one of your biggest mistakes, I mean, it's just a game, but one of your biggest mistakes out for everyone to see. And and thankfully, people have been rallying around Laura Bassett. In fact, right after the the game, hashtag proud of Bassett was uh, one of the trending sort of things on Twitter. Um, Now, on contrast to Laura's situation, where the challenge is so obvious, that is the despair and sadness. Um, I want to contrast that for a moment. What we're going to talk about today is a challenge that is exactly the opposite of that. 
It's a challenge that comes to us, and the thing is that its tentacles, its problems aren't quite as obvious unless it's happening to someone else. You can see it better in someone else. And honestly, this fact of an opposite situation from Laura Bassett makes it even more important that we talk about it, because if we don't, it has the potential to really damage you and your relationship with others and your relationship with God. And so to kind of get you an idea of where we're going today, our first fill-in, those uh, colored inserts if you got them, failure has its challenges. Just ask Laura Bassett. (laughs) But so does success. Failure has certain challenges, emotions, and feelings. Certain emotions and feelings that come with it. But so does success. So does times of plenty. So do times when things are are going really well. Now, I realize that some of you might be a little bit skeptical about a statement like that. You know, come on, right? You're joking. Like, you're saying that if Laura Bassett scored the game-winning goal for her team instead of against her team, that it would have been the same for her? No. That's not what I'm saying. The feelings and emotions would be different. But if Laura kicked the game-winning goal for the English national team in the World Cup for the championship, what I am saying is there'd still be challenges for her. That there are challenges and temptations that come with failure, and there's challenges and there's temptations that come with success. Still don't believe me? Or maybe wondering exactly what I mean. Let me help, you know, solidify some things. Anyone recognize uh, this person? This is uh, Lindsay Lohan back in the 90s when she kind of burst onto the screen uh, in a remake of The Parent Trap. I remember it well. Don't remember the real Parent Trap, but I do remember this one. And because of her likability, because of her sweetness, because of her her acting as a little girl, she became really popular. And all that popularity introduced her. um, She experienced fame and wealth and success. And then drugs and then alcohol and entitlement and jail time. (laughs) In fact, 20 years later, after that picture's been taken, we know her more for the things that she's gotten in trouble with, if you know Lindsay Lohan at all, um, know her more for the things that she's gotten in trouble about than for her acting skills. This is just one example, but this is what I'm talking about. This is an example of something that proves my point But before, that success, the times when things are going well, has unique challenges and even temptations. And so here's what I want to do today. We're going to continue our our study in the book of Judges, and we're going to point out specifically the primary challenge that comes with success, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time from the book of Judges to consider how we can combat that. Make sense? All right. So like I said at the very beginning, we are in the third week of looking at Um, a judge, a deliverer, a military leader named Gideon. And just to kind of quick review, here's what happened to Gideon. So the Israelites were being persecuted and uh, I guess just kind of overrun by a group of uh, country, a group of people called the Midianites. 
And the way that the Midianites most uh, hurt and attacked the Israelites was that, if you remember this, for seven years in a row, they would come at harvest time and drive the Israelites out and take all their food and eat all their food and eat all their animals and just devastate their land so that they had nothing to eat. Well, they cried out to the Lord, and eventually the Lord um, sent a judge, and his name was Gideon. And, and for the last two weeks, we've been reminded of, of kind of Gideon's calling. It, it wasn't like, you know, so proud and, and such a, a great moment. Uh, if you recall, here's, here's a reminder of what happened. So Gideon was threshing wheat in a place you wouldn't normally thresh wheat because you need breeze and wind to, to blow the chaff. Um, he, uh, he was threshing wheat in a wine press, which was likely a big pit or a hole. And the reason he was doing that was because he was so scared. He was so fearful. And then God comes and he says, greetings. Remember the, the greeting, the title? Anyone? Pastor Matt? Greetings, mighty warrior. And, and, and Gideon's got to be thinking like, uh, I think you've got the wrong pit. You've got the wrong hole. You've got the wrong scared guy, okay? Because I am not a mighty warrior. Who are you talking to? And yet, God wasn't looking for some other wine press or some other guy. He was looking for Gideon, and Gideon was going to be God's mighty warrior. How? Not because Gideon was so great, but because God could use a frady cat wheat threshing in a wine press Israelite named Gideon. And so Gideon, after this, went forward after some time of testing that we looked at last week. And he went forward, but he went forward with questions, and he went forward also with humility. He was scared. You would be too. He was unsure of himself. So he asked for signs. And yet God used him to lead Israel to a victory with how many people? How many? 300 people. He started with a whole lot more than that, right? Remember that? With 300 people. And so as we get into our text today, Gideon is still finishing up this pursuit and, and defeat of the Midianites. And as he does, he stops in a town called Sukkot. And that's where we pick it up in Judges chapter 8, beginning with verse 5. And so as he comes to this town, he's still pursuing the Midianites. It's, the battle's not quite over, but it's clear the Israelites are, are winning and going to win. He said to the men of Sukkot, Give my troops some bread. They're worn out. I'm still pursuing Ziba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Sukkot said, do you already have the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna in your possession? Are, have you won yet? Is the battle over? Are you the victor for sure? No? Well, then why should we give bread to your troops? So what's going on here? So here, here's what's going on. That the, the, the people of Sukkot are not wanting to hedge their bets. Or they are hedging their bets, one or the other. I don't know. They're, they're being careful. <laughs> you see, the Israelites have not quite won. The Midianites seem to be, from a worldly spec perspective, a whole lot more powerful 
If we give bread to Gideon and the army and the Midianites win, we're going to have to pay for it because the Midianites are going to come back to us and probably hurt us greatly, deeply, kill us because we've sort of aligned ourselves with to the Midianites would be the enemy. So how do you think Gideon reacts to the Sukkot people's fear? Here's how you'd think he'd react. Like, do you remember what just happened to Gideon? Like, he was afraid. He was fearful. He was a mighty warrior with shaking knees, okay? And so then he tests God. We looked again at that last week. And God continually proves to him that God will be with him and be faithful. And up until this time, as the battle's almost over, Gideon has, has seen how, how 300 people have been basic, just really just conquering the Midianite army, are winning easily, clearly. And you'd think Gideon would do something like this. You know, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, I was in your shoes just a few days or weeks ago. But you've got to understand what I've seen. You've got to understand what God has done. You can trust him. Trust God and help out God's people, his army. Listen to what Gideon did say, verse 7. Then Gideon replied, just for that, not giving us bread. When the Lord has given Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. <laughs> or he could have said that, I guess. <laughs> now, what's going on with Gideon? What's behind these brutal, and they are brutal, these brutal words, in fact, one commentary uh, hypothesized that what this meant was that he later had the people of Sukkot lay on briars after he, or thorns, while he went over them uh, with some sort of a, a, a threshing press or some sort, to death. What's going on with Gideon? Is this just a hungry Gideon trying to protect God's name, a righteous and holy anger? I mean, sometimes we see that in the Bible. Well, when you read through the, the rest of chapter 8, you realize that that's not what it was at all. This wasn't holy and righteous anger. What you see going on is that Gideon's amazing rise in just a week or two to fame and success led him to an unfortunate result. Gone were the feelings of fear and humility and gratitude. And guess what? Success, talking about success today, things going well replaced that humility with arrogance and pride and self-focus. How dare you, Sukkot people, doubt me? I am Gideon. And I'm going to make you pay for this when we win. Don't these people know that I'm a mighty warrior? Yeah, a mighty warrior that just was in a hole threshing wheat. But the success, the things going well, went to Gideon's head. Things went well, and Gideon forgot about God. Um, if you're not quite sure, just based on that verse, 
read the rest of chapter 8. You'll get the clear picture of where Gideon's at. In fact, I just want to share one other verse with you. Um, Gideon had a sort of uh, rallying cry for the troops before they went into battle. And and here's the rallying cry. It's in verse uh, 18 of chapter 8. He he told his men, When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then then from all around the camp, blow yours, men, and shout, For the Lord! That sounds good, but it wasn't the end of it. Next slide. For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon's brain, his heart, is being overwhelmed with an insidious, ugly sin that we all have the temptation to fall into, especially when times are good. Our next fill in the blank. Success or good times, when things are going well, it leads to, here's the sin, to pride. And that happens not just because there's success. Success leads to pride when God is forgotten in the midst of that success and in the midst of that blessing. I want you to know that success and doing well is not bad and is praised by God for having used the gifts that he has given. But when God is forgotten in the midst of a successful, fruitful life, it will almost always, I think I could just say always, lead to the temptation of pride. Pride in myself. Now, let me, let me sort of parse this out a little bit. So um, when you experience success, Do you have anything to do with that? Of course you do. If you didn't study for the test, you wouldn't have gotten an A, most likely. Unless it was an open book test, right? You wouldn't experience your success at work if you just sat home all day and didn't go to work. Gideon would not have been a mighty warrior if, if he didn't actually get up, trust God and, mar- God, and march out onto the battlefield, God wasn't going to teleport him to the battlefield. He needed to get up and go. And so there is a human element to success. Your hard work, or on the flip side, laziness, will have fruits, one or the other. But while there is a human element, the thing that we cannot forget, the thing that we cannot ignore, is that God is just as, if not more, a part of it. Because all the wanting to go to work that you have, all the want to in the world, if you had no health, you couldn't do it. All the success you've experienced at work through hard work, if you had no gifts to do your job, which some of that is learned, much of that is innate from the Lord, you would not be able to do it. If we did not live in this country, and who chose to live in this country? We would not be likely as fruitful and as blessed, again, not perfectly blessed. We have challenges, we have struggles, but on this weekend, blessed to be a part of this country. You have a part in success. God, I believe, has a bigger one. It was true with Gideon. 
It's true with us. And what happens to success when we forget about God is all the fingers point here instead of the thankfulness going there. All the accolades come here. And it's about me and my success and what I did and my talents and my gifts and my self-sufficiency. We need to be careful. <laughs> we need to be careful. Kind of ugly, actually, pride. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say that you saw a high school teen driving a brand new BMW or a Mercedes or a Lexus, which actually happens around here. So, What would you think if you saw that same high school teen drive up in the brand new Mercedes, get out and just kind of like act all sort of, uh, I guess, arrogant with his classmate who's got an old beater or no car at all? Likely you'd have some of these thoughts. Whoa, buddy, calm down there. <laughs> what did you do to earn that car? That's your mommy and daddy's car. <laughs> There's no reason to be arrogant here. There's no reason for pride. <laughs> I wonder sometimes if that's kind of how God looks at us when we forget him. When we go through seasons of life where we forget about the God who has given us what we have, if, if God's kind of like, whoa, buddy, calm down. I, I'm happy for your success, but it's not just your success. I gave you that health, those gifts, that place of privilege that we talked about already. Why all the arrogance? Why all the focus on self? It's ugly pride. And here's the interesting thing. Not only does pride make it hard to have a close relationship with God, a prideful person also has a hard time having a close relationship with others. Pride puts a barrier between you and relationships with the people that you love most. Because pride in us makes it hard to say, I'm sorry. You know that feeling you have when you know you messed up and you know you should say, I'm sorry, but for some reason your feet can't quite walk over to say it and your mouth won't, you know what that is? Pride. Um, pride makes it hard to be patient with people who don't have the same view as us. And here I'm not necessarily talking biblically. I'm just talking views on life in, in general. Makes it hard to be patient. Um, pride makes it hard to empathize with people who are struggling. <laughs> and if you have a hard time with saying, uh, I'm sorry, empathy, and patience, it's going to be hard to have relationships with people. Pride is ugly. And it is such a danger when things are going well. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely amazing then that 
that the one person who is totally self-sufficient in and of himself, himself, and if pride wasn't a sin, would have had um, every right to be proud, is the one who chose not to. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is just an awesome section that most of you maybe have heard, and it's just such an amazing one to get at the heart of Jesus, our Savior. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, Jesus, being in very nature God, he's the king of kings, did not consider equality with God to be the thing he was going to go after on earth something to be grasped. But instead, he made himself nothing. He, he became humble, humility, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Even becoming a human being was humility. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even more and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, Jesus could have come to earth as the Son of God bowed out his chest and said, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm right. And he would have been right. And we'd all be going to hell. (laughs) But Jesus came to this earth and he came to be our savior. And in order to be our savior, he had to be the servant of that the King of kings and the Lord of lords did all the things talked about there in which Paul describes to the Philippians. And that our greatest hope, the most powerful act of love that you could ever find is the one where a humble servant died even though he didn't have to. (laughs) Number three, I think, is so important for fighting pride in our hearts. It's to remember that in humility, Jesus put you before his earthly glory. In order to fight pride in our own lives, to handle success, we need to daily go back to the one who through his humility put us before his glory in order to save us and then as a a great example for us. Well, I, I wish the story got better for Gideon. It didn't right away. In fact, uh, the pride that came with success just got more intense. Look at verse 22. The Israelites said to Gideon, this is after their victory, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson. So they are stoking the pride (laughs) because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I won't rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Now that sounds good. If it wasn't for the next verse, and he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. He was getting his ears pierced. No, it was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each man threw a ring from his plunder onto it. Verse 26. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. And all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So let me just explain this unfortunate event in Gideon's life. 
So Gideon says the right thing. The Lord's going to be king, verse 23. In the very next verse, he shows that while he was good at talking the talk, his heart was not where his mouth was. And so what he's doing here is, is he's gathering all this gold to make an ephod, which is a high priestly garment. It went over their robe. And this one made of pure gold, it sounds. And where he took this ephod was in Ophrah, not Shiloh, where the tabernacle had been. Now, this is important. This shows Gideon's, where Gideon's heart is at. So the ephod is only for the high priest, and the high priest is always where the tabernacle or the temple is, where the special presence of God is in the temple or the tabernacle. By Gideon taking this ephod and putting it in a different town, what he's doing is using his success, his position, his platform to bring people to him. God's over there. Come to me, to my town. I'll help you. And so Gideon had this awesome opportunity to use his success to bring glory to God, and instead, through this unfortunate event, he brings glory on himself. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> you don't need to be standing on this platform to have a platform. A platform is an opportunity. A platform is an opportunity to use your position in life, your areas of influence, whether that's just with your family or, or your fellow students at, at school or wherever it is, to bring glory on someone. And instead of telling you first, I just want to quick show you. Some of you maybe saw this this past week on America's Got Talent. Um, this girl knows how to use a platform. Watch. places I'm telling you wow you know when I was uh, a little boy not much older than you if you can imagine that <laughs> heavenly I used to watch uh, Shirley Temple yeah. in movies on TV I watched that. you watch that too yep that you know I think Shirley Temple is living somewhere inside of you is that possible because no not Shirley Temple Jesus there you go how you talking Jesus Jesus I don't even remember the performance. Jesus lives inside him. She didn't even know what she was doing. 
And she used that moment, that sphere of influence, that, that platform to shine the light, probably accidentally, but the Holy Spirit was working in her, obviously, to shine the light on Jesus. Use your successes, your platform, your position in life, the good times of blessing, the hard times of disappointment as an opportunity not to make your position known like, I'm the CEO and I just got a raise and I'm the lead pastor and blah, blah, whatever. It's all going away (laughs) as an opportunity to make Jesus known. Think about what Gideon could have done. Think about what you can do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you give. I mean, some of us, dear Lord, may be in times of deep challenge right now, and, 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 and we just pray for those people and, and pray that you bring them through those challenges. We know you will. At the same time, even in the midst of challenges, there are always blessings. And Lord, help protect and guard us, especially during those times. May we recognize the pride that wells up inside of us and help us to to, to shift our, our focus onto you and forgive us for the times that we fail. Help us to use these opportunities that we have as an opportunity, our successes, as an opportunity to bring glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And also pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.